0: It's interesting. This is the same message that I gave in Texas when we were there about a month ago, and um, it was um, about attitude. It was it was technically it was um, originally named uh, "Character Counts," but it's interesting that in our home fellowship right now we are doing it's five weeks of home fellowship, right? And so we're doing the theme is on "To Obey is Better than Sacrifice," and. So it's it's um, it's fitting with that theme right now, and it's and it's interesting because there's it's so powerful, especially today, as um, you know, the world is getting man. It's just, there's so much evil activity out there, and there's so many draws um, to to do what is wrong. I mean, there's you know, marijuana is legal, and and there's just there's just so much out there that you could do that is um, contrary to obeying the Lord. Um, even, you know, I'm in the tire business, and I get in people's cars, customers' cars, and, and I hear music, and um, I hear whatever they're playing. But a lot of times it's music, and um, when, it's, when there's country music on, I will count. And I usually can't make it past five, you know, five-second count before there's an alcohol, something in relation to alcohol. Five-second count, within five seconds, almost every time, it's a funny little thing I've done. And then the other day, I was um, a Duran Duran song was on, and it was um, "Save a Prayer for Me." Save a Prayer, I think is the name of the song. And it it says that um, that he met this girl, and they wanted to dance, um, but there was um, fear was in her soul. Some people call it a one night stand, but we can call it paradise. Don't say a prayer for me now. Save it till the morning after. So it's very. He wants to do his sin, and then if you want to pray for me in the morning and ask for forgiveness, then we'll do it. So save a prayer. Save it for me. uh, Save it till the morning after. Anyhow, so with that, um, I want to dig into just how important it is that we obey and don't make sacrifices, even though the Lord has made our request for forgiveness. So much easier than it was in the Old Testament times, was it not? If you wanted to atone for your sin in Old Testament times with Jewish law, you had to sacrifice a prime animal, uh, your best, your your best sheep, your best goat, um, and you had to you had to slaughter it. And it it, it was a you know you, you hear about how you know people were thrown in jail over stealing someone's goat. Um, they were very important. You know, animals were very important back then. There was, was, a, was a food source. It was like stealing food. So you had to slaughter something that had great value, um, both, you know, monetarily and at food. And so you had to slaughter that. But the Lord, God Almighty, said, I'm going to make it so easy for you guys. I'm going to send my son. He's going to die on the cross. And all you have to do is simply ask him for forgiveness. Turn from your sin and ask for forgiveness. Just simply ask. No more having to slaughter, get the animal, do all these things, ritual, all the rituals and such. And yet it's so funny that mankind still doesn't want to do it. Man still doesn't want to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. It trips me out. You almost had a reason <laughs> in Old Testament days. But today, there, you, you, there's, it's a simple request. Um, all right, so I want to start. Um, this is my um, man. This is my little uh, piece that just signifies that you know I've been coming to Blessed Hope for here for quite a while, and taught by Joe for quite a while, and in the Word, and you know a lot of you have too. And just to say that I'm not much different than you. I'm really not. Um, it scares me to death to be up here, and I ask the Lord. I I, I pray constantly and that the Lord would um, calm nerves and give me a clear mind and be up here and, and, and teach his, his word. I mean, it's really a gnarly thing to, you know, to dissect and, and put out the word of God to God's inheritance. You guys are God's, we're all God's inheritance to encourage you. And um, so I always like to read this. It's Moses 4.10. I remember 4.10 because it's, it's a, even though it's small, it's, it's, it's the smallest of all shotgun shells. Uh, So Exodus 4.10 says this, Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, here we go. Here's, here's our boy saying, uh, Lord, um, Moses saying, Oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Send somebody else. Don't send me. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, and then he goes on to explain. And, and God actually makes a way for Aaron to work with Moses and very, very kind of the Lord. Even though the Lord was angry with Moses for not going out and doing what he, he wanted him to do, he only gave him a great explanation. Moses, I made your mouth. I'm going to go before you. You have nothing. Just go. You know, no brainer. You know, you and I think, man, we we'll would just go do it. And if God said, go do this thing, it'd be really simple. Like, no problem, Lord. I'm off doing it. But whatever it is, there is that inhibition um, that to serve the Lord sometimes is, is scary. But anyhow, you don't want and I don't want the anger of the Lord to burn against us when he has us, when there's something he wants us to do. Yes? True? True. Okay, so, you guys, we're going to get into three, um, actually four births. Four births and three that are announced by angels, one is not. Um, This comes about because, you know, we just, you know, Christmas was just, you know, was just like less than two months ago. Easter is just a few months away. And, um, but in... Light of, you know, Christmas just being so uh, recent, a lot of this came to, came to heart and came to mind. And um, so we're going to dig into these, these births, miraculous births, and what the guys and gals did that was obeying and not obeying, even like laughing sometimes, <laughs> like uh, Sarah, she laughed. Even Abram, he laughed too. Um, when they found out they're going to become pregnant. Um, so um, so we're going to compare three people's character, Abraham, uh, Zacharias and Mary, uh, four births, three that are announced. Um, and um, here we go. So we're going to start, you guys, in uh, Luke one, and we're going to start. Let's see here, my notes are a little scattered because I switched things around. Here we are. Luke 1, verse 26. And we're going to talk about Mary for a minute here, and about what happened with Mary. And most of you know the story, but it's still interesting. Uh, Now, so Luke 1, 26. Now in the sixth month, the sixth month was... um, Actually, John the Baptist, was his, his, Elizabeth was in her sixth month. It comes right off of verse 24. So, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and was pondering what kind of greeting this was. I mean, Is that a little bit of an understatement? An angel comes to you and says, greetings, favored one? You're like 13 years old, uh, and this is, you're like, wow, you know, it'd be, uh, perplexed would be, you know, it'd be un- unbelievable, it really would be. And, you know, pondering what kind of greeting this was, um, like, is this a joke? Am I being punked? Um, verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid is always a, a, a coined um, set of words that an angel of the Lord uses when an angel of the Lord appears. Um, do not be afraid. So we know it's an angel of the Lord. Uh, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Now you guys notice, it says Jesus, all caps right there. I didn't notice that till uh, today. Yeah, I was tripping out on that. I'm like, whoa, that's all caps, Jesus. First time I've seen that. I did a little research on it, but funny, um, it still comes up Yeshua, uh, even though it's all in caps. Um, according, accordingly. So um, anyhow, you know, it's all caps, Jesus. Verse thirty-two. Yeah, from Strong's. Strong's just still says Yeshua. Um, anyhow, So verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Pretty awesome. But, verse 34, but. Now, I, loved, I always love to say, but God. You know, Whenever you have an impossible situation, the scripture says, but God. And that means that God intervenes. And, and even though it's impossible, it still works out. The Lord makes it work out. But it's interesting with man, you get, I would say, you know, in this case, it's but man. This time it's but man. She's like, she's doubting, but she's not, Mary's not really doubting. She is just a young lady who isn't sure how this is all going to happen is what it comes down to. So verse 34, but Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Honest question, right? Honest question. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason also the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth herself has conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called infertile is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary's like, okay, thanks for the explanation. I got it. Verse 38, and Mary said, Behold the lord's bondservant behold god's messenger may it be done to me according to your word and the angel departed from her so we have a young girl she's a virgin she's shooken up this angel appears says don't be afraid i mean how many of you it's always a joke when someone says um, don't be afraid or someone says you know calm down you know those kind of commandments don't typically get the desired effect um, but in this case, uh, do not be afraid, Mary, so she, she, we've been shook up pretty bad, and she um, is young, she's immature, and these things are happening. Now we're going to contrast Zacharias next, OK? Um, a priest in the land, older man who has tons of knowledge and the study and the scriptures, his whole life. And he makes a much he makes a very, uh, a very uh, big mistake. And it costs him. So let's go ahead and take a look at what Zacharias does here. So we go to Luke 1 and verse 5. And we have, in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, both righteous, remember that, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord, and yet they had no child, because Elizabeth was infertile, and they were both advanced in years. Because you're righteous and you walk blamelessly as a Christian, should you get whatever you want? Do you get whatever you want? You get what you need. You do get what you need. The Lord does provide what you need. And he does give you a lot of wants, too. Um, He won't give them all to you. Um, Being infertile was a disgrace among people. It was disgraceful to not have children in that day and age. So here we have righteous, walking blamelessly, doing the Lord wants, and yet disgraced. And yet they still walk the walk and talk the talk. Pretty gnarly. Um, Now verse 8, now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Um, Chosen by lot. He didn't know he was going to get chosen that day. It just so happened that he actually got the draw on that one. And it's interesting, when they chose the extra apostle, remember they chose by lot, and it was Matthias. You know, it's funny, when you say by lot, it seems like completely like random, like you're throwing dice. But you know what, who controls the dice? Who controls the length of the stick? Who controls who? You know, where it's put and gets drawn? is the Lord. So it was the Lord's doing that he drew the lot, of course. And so he now has... It's literally a a once-in-a-lifetime. You might, twice maybe as a priest, they say there was approximately 1,800 priests in the land at the time. And for him to get chosen for this, uh, burning of incense, was a a once-in-a-lifetime deal. So he is ecstatic. Very, very happy that he gets to go in and do this thing, this, this, you know, going in and, and burning incense before the Lord. Verse 10, And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. Now an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled, or terrified, when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall name him John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice over his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Interestingly, Jesus said of John the Baptist that he was the greatest born of all women. Greatest man ever born of all women. Very strong statement. And he had no wine And no liquor. We're called to have a sober mind. It's just interesting the whole how it all fits together. Sober mind and what John the Baptist was and what he was called. Um, Really got to think about what we do on our free time, you guys. Um, He was filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. Verse 16, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. Interesting, the sons of Israel need to be turned back to the Lord their God. you think that the sons of Israel already were in or doing what the Lord their God wanted, but they weren't. They were completely lost, and they were not following the Lord, and they needed a new commandment. They needed a Savior, and timing's great. You know, they had 400 years of, no, of God not intervening in, with them until this time. And so John the Baptist is going to turn these sons back to their Lord, to their God. 17, and it is he who will go as let's See here, my, a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel... Here's your butt man thing again. Is that a butt God, butt man? Here's Zechariah, I'm going to doubt. How will I know this? For I'm an old man. I mean, here he is in the temple. I mean, there's nobody in there. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity to be in this place where nobody ever gets to go. And this angel appears, says, Don't be afraid, all these things. And he turns right around and says, How will I know this? It's just, it trips you out a little bit. Um, it also makes you think of Ananias when God tells Ananias to go tell Saul, to, uh, to go get Saul. Um, and what does you know, Ananias say? He has to explain to God that, hey, this guy Saul you want me to go get. Uh, he's been killing Christians. He's a mean guy. He's, he's all these things. And, and I, I'm, I'm scared, Lord. And what does the scripture say? It just says, go. Just go. God just tells him, go. Just go. And, um, but anyhow, it's funny how Ananias wanted to explain to the Lord <laughs> as Zachariah is going to try to explain to the Lord right now. I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in her years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. This good news. You're kind of messing up the good news here, Zach. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled at their proper time. And meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering at this delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he repeatedly made signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his priestly service were concluded, he went back home. Which means he wasn't done. Just because he was mute, he wasn't done. He still had to finish out his job, his, his task as being a priest. So it was a day or two probably, and then he was able to go home. Verse 24, Now after these days his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with me, looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among people. Put yourself in Zechariah's shoes for a second. Here you've been wanting to do burning of incense. You've been waiting your whole life. You're an old man. You have no kids. You, it's been a disgrace. And this angel comes along and says, guess what? Everything you've been praying for, everything you've been wanting, you're going to get. You're going to get a child. Um, not only that, but as Zechariah thinks about it, as an angel does this, if you start putting one, one together, you know the voice of one calling in the desert, you start figuring out. Who his son was going to be, um, and could you imagine how badly you'd want to talk and share that with everybody? He'd be like, "And I can't. You know, like I got a million things I want to say, and you can't." So turn to Luke one sixty-seven. A couple of pages to the right. So eventually they have the baby, they have, they have John, and, um, and he's able to speak, he's, he's, um, they ask, will you name the baby, and uh, Elizabeth says, John, and they're all, John, there's no Johns in your family, you can't name him John, and uh, Zechariah says, or writes and says, his name is John. And at that point, he's able to speak. And now that he can speak, here's what he says. This is verse 67. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which we swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will, be, you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Pray, he just had the son, and all this stuff is like, has come to him and prophesied it. The Holy Spirit was in, in him, and he understood who his son was going to be. Pretty powerful. Pretty powerful. All right, so that is to obey his barren sacrifice. If Zachariah just said, okay, angel Gabriel, thank you very much. That's awesome. I'm, I'm all about it. It would have been great. But he, won't, he doubted, and he, and, he, and he caused him to not speak. That was his sacrifice, was his inability to speak. Sometimes sacrifice is taken from us. We sacrifice without wanting to. And sometimes we sacrifice because we want to. Sometimes we're like, oh man, Lord, I messed up. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And we make that sacrifice willingly. Um, so interesting. So it's either way, it's best to obey, Correct. Bless you. All right. So now we're going to talk about Abram and Sarai. Um, Interesting couple. Interesting couple. It's uh, interesting because Abram brought forth both a picture of just mankind on its own, and he brought forth his son and um, Isaac to show us the way. It's really interesting. Ishmael was just a natural man. He really was. He's called him a wild donkey and all these other things. But he was just a man without the Lord. Isaac is a a part of God's covenant and part of the the way of salvation. And what's interesting, in the Middle East, um, because uh, the Muslim people are so powerful out there, so many, that Islam is, is, the, is the biggest religion. So it's really, to this date, it started off Ishmael and Isaac in a way long time ago. We're talking the 16th verse uh, chapter of Genesis to today. And today in the Middle East, Muslims that follow Islam is the largest concentration in the Middle East, and then the Jewish people are the other second greatest population. And it's just interesting that <laughs> it, it's, it transpired over all that time into what it is today. And some believe that, that Islam is that fifth and final kingdom. It went from traditional kingdoms to a religious kingdom. And it could be the, bringing the end about. So let's see here. So Abram, uh, we're, gonna, we're really going to get into like around verse 15. If you want to go to, to um, Genesis 15, you can. But I'm just going to bring up a couple of scriptures here that just show how the Lord told Abram he's going to have radical um, descendants. Um, so in Genesis 12, 2, it says, I will make you a great nation. In verse 7, it says, to your descendants, I will give this land. And then in 13:15 it says, for all the land which you see, I will give to you and your descendants forever. Chapter 13, verse 16. I will make your descendants as plentiful as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can count the dust of the earth, then your descendants could also be counted. Okay, let's try that. Um, and then fourteen, eighteen, um, says, And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high, and he blessed him. And said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has handed over your enemies to you. Interesting thing about this uh, Melchizedek is that he was a king and a priest. And Jesus is the sole person in the order of Melchizedek. That's a whole other story. So the question is what did Abram have to do? Now that he has been told, hey, your descendants are going to be like dust. They're going to be like stars. They're going to be like zillions of them, zillions of descendants, all these people. What did he have to do? Did he have to go and like get a concubine? Did he have to go and like, you know, start doing these things? No, he didn't do anything. He had to just follow the Lord. Um, He took things into his own hands and messed it up. If he just obeyed, he wouldn't have had to make the sacrifices. Um, So let's see. We're going to... Let's see here, go to, uh, yeah, chapter 15. So, verse 1, after, so Genesis 15, 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Now, Jewish law was that if you didn't have any kids, you could pick out a servant, and they would be your descendant. So Eliezer would have been a logical choice as a descendant had he had no children. Verse 3, Abram also said, Since you have given me no son, one who has been born in my house is my heir. Did I read that right? Since you have given me no son, one who has been born in my house is my heir. Am I reading that right? One who has been born in my house is my heir. Verse 4. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And now here's this famous line, verse 6. Then he believed in the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. But he said, Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? Kind of like Mary, I think it was an honest question. So he said to him, Bring me three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He was preparing a the sacrifice. Then he brought all these things to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. Um, and I want to, let's see here. So 11... He knocked out the birds. Verse 11, And birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Okay, so he did this thing. He prepared this sacrifice, and these birds of prey were coming down trying to eat it. And he scared them off all day long. He's scaring these birds away from from the sacrifice. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. Then God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. Now, does that sound right to you guys? A deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, terror, and a great darkness fell upon him. Then God said to him, How is this happening? How is this great terror and these things happening, and God's right there with him? Sounds impossible. This great sleep that's being talked about right here, is the same type of great sleep that Adam had when God took his rib. He put him in a deep sleep. So God is taking Abram, putting him in the same deep sleep trance, and but he's still aware. He's like unmovable, but he's aware of what's going on. So that's where the terror and the great darkness fell upon him, because God was now in his presence. God was around him. And it's gnarly. It's going to be gnarly to have the Lord near you. And so God's now saying, hey, now that I've got your attention, i got you in this deep sleep, um, this this great darkness, this terror is on you, now, now that I've got your attention, I want to tell you something. As for you, I'm sorry, um, God said, not uh, So he's in this deep sleep. God's got his attention. He says, No for certain, your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and they'll be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. That was um, a prophecy regarding Egypt. So God's telling him the future. Um, But I'll also judge Egypt. I'll also judge the nation whom they serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. Remember, they were allowed to take all their possessions with them. Now, verse 15 says, As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the wrongdoing of the Amorite is not yet complete. Now, now it came about. Now, I want to read a little commentary on this um, verse 17, because it's such a powerful verse. Now, it came about. Uh, This this is what the scripture says. Now it came about when the sun had set, that it was very dark. And behold, a smoking oven and a flaming torch appeared, which passed between these pieces on the day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of Canaanite, Kizanite, Cadamite, Hittite, Perserite, the Rephaim, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Jurgisite, and the Jebusite. Now the commentary I want to read about, it gets into this this flaming torch in the smoking oven. It's um, very interesting. It talks about how the Lord makes a, a covenant. He's making this covenant, and the Lord is walking in it. And it says, The deep sleep came on Abram when the sun was setting, Now in the heavy darkness, he saw supernatural light, a smoking oven, and a burning torch. These symbols represented the glory of the Lord to Abram. Smoke and fire with clouds and darkness often precede God's acts of judgment. This oven and torch imagery may indicate the impending judgment of Canaan, the promise that God's word to Abram will be kept. Between the pieces, this little phrase, between the pieces, the last element has profound implications in solemn agreements between equals. Uh, a in in regards to like treaties, both parties would pass between the bloody pieces of slain animals and birds. The symbol would be evident to all. May I become like this if I do not keep my part of the deal? Now God's not doing this to Abram. God's doing this for God to us. He's making this covenant to us. Like, I'm not going to break this deal, period. But Abram was not to walk this grisly pathway. Only God made that journey in the symbols of smoke and fire. The fulfillment of the promise of God to Abram, the Abrahamic covenant, is as sure as is the ongoing life of the Lord. That was a great commentary. So, there has, God has made this, this covenant to us that is... Unbreakable, unshakable is going to happen. So now we move on to chapter 16, verse one. We get into Sarai, um, Abram's wife, had not born a child, but uh, she had but she had a slave woman. She had an Egyptian slave woman whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, "See now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Lord's fault, the Lord prevented me from having children. Let's take things in our own hands. Let's not just walk and do what we're supposed to do, as the Lord said. Just, just go, you know, Abram. Just keep following me, and everything will be fine. No, let's take it in our own hands, and let's and let's fix this. Um, so, she says, "Please have relations with my slave woman. Perhaps I will obtain children through her." And Abram, listening to the voice of Sarai, Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian, her slave woman, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. That's illegal. That's foul. You you can't do that. Then he had relations with Hagar, and she conceived. Remember earlier it said, perhaps I'll obtain a a child through her? I think she was really hoping that it wouldn't happen. I really think that Sarai was thinking that, you know what, I hope that he goes into her and it it doesn't happen Um, because there can be ramifications if he does have children with her. So, and she conceived. And when Hagar became aware that she had conceived, her mistress was insignificant in her sight. So as soon as Hagar knew she was pregnant, you know what, Elizabeth, guess what? I might be your slave, but I am bigger than you now. And that really bugged Sarai. So Sarai said to Abraham, may the wrong done to me be upon you. Abram should have said no. I put my slave woman into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was insignificant in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, look, your slave woman is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly and she fled from her presence. She's like, I am out of here. Hagar's like, I can't handle this, her treating me like this. So, verse 7, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. Now, we got to check this out. An angel of the Lord. um, You guys have heard of Christophanes? Which is a Christophany? If you haven't heard of it, is actually Christ in the Old Testament before He's born, um, thousand years later, and some people don't believe it, and I don't know how they don't believe it because it's clear as day, and we're about to see one right now. So now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring. You know, angel of the Lord right there doesn't necessarily tell you it's a Christophany; tell you that's Christ. It just tells you it's an angel of the Lord, but we'll see. It gets deeper. Um, by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur, he said, Hagar, Sarai, a slave woman, from where have you come and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. So the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. So far, it could have been an angel. Could have just been. could have been Gabriel. could have been just an angel. Then the angel of the Lord also said to her, and here's where it gets, here's where it changes everything. It's not just an angel anymore. I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. Only God can issue those kinds of orders. The angel of the Lord said further to her, Behold, you are pregnant, and you will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Ishmael. Because the Lord has heard your affliction, but he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live in defiance of all of his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You notice that Lord is capital L-O-R-D. That is the Lord. She's not calling him Lord like you're, you're a Lord. She's calling him God. Then she called on the name of God, who spoke to her. You are a God who sees me? For she said, have I seen him, meaning God, here and lived after he saw me? He again capitalized. So again, it clearly shows that that angel of the Lord is God. Therefore, the well was called Berlai Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. You know, what's interesting is Ishmael, like I said earlier, is just a picture of man, just man without God. And it says he's a a wild donkey of a man who will be against everyone. Everyone's hand will be against him. That's just humanity, sinful humanity, going after each other. May the the, uh, person with the most toys win. Um, You know, just purely secular. And Isaac, being an example of redemption, and a picture of the Most High God, who was called to know and worship. So verse 15, it says that, So Hagar bore a son to Abram, and Abram named his son, to whom Hagar gave birth, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. It's so funny, it didn't take long for the two superpowers of the Middle East to be born, to come into, the, into play. Um, in Genesis 3, you have the fall of Adam and Eve. In uh, Genesis 6-5, it says that man thought on evil continually, and God brought the flood and wiped out the earth. That's the six chapters in to the, the, the whole Bible. And then here in 16, you have um, the birth of Ishmael and Isaac, the two superpowers of the Middle East, it will be a reflection of God and of mankind, man without God, really. And, and we, here we are today with uh, that same group just in the billions. Uh, Ishmael was the firstborn, was the first son of Abraham, the common patriarch of the Abrahamic religions. Through his wife Sarah's handmaid, handmaiden Hagar, According to the Genesis account, he died at the age of 137. That's Wikipedia. And um, it's funny. It says that Ishmael was the first son of Abraham, the common patriarch of the Abrahamic religions. He's not the patriarch of the Abrahamic religions. Isaac is. It's funny how Wikipedia will totally lead you astray on that one. So my question is, what does all the Scripture have to do with um, how we are supposed to hear the quiet, still voice of the Lord. Do we hear from Gabriel? Does Gabriel come and talk to us? Does God tell us he's going to give us these increases and have children that are like dust and stars? Um, we have an angel come to us and tell him we're going to have a virgin birth. No. Where we, where we get our information, where we have the Lord speak to us, is through the Word. The Word of God, the Bible, the Word of God. And I want to get uh, into um, there's this beautiful scripture I want to find for you guys. And that scripture is Luke. 16:19, if you want to turn to Luke 16:19. Luke 16:19 says, "Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in, fine, in purple and fine linen, enjoying himself in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed from the scraps which fell from the rich man's table. Not only that, the dogs also were coming and licking his sores. Now it happened that the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's arms. And the rich man also died and was buried. I don't know if you guys see the irony or the conflict there. It's very interesting. It says that the poor man died and was carried away by angels. The rich man also died and was buried. Way less pizzazz and just being buried versus being carried away by angels. Um, I have a good friend of mine who's doing some silly stuff and not really falling the way he should. And uh, I tell him all the time, he's rich, and I say, friend, you already have one foot in the grave. It doesn't take a whole lot for you to have both feet in the grave. You already have a bunch of money. There's so many warnings in the Bible for the rich. It just goes on and on, the warnings for the rich. One foot in the grave So uh, we have uh, verse 23. And in Hades, he raised his eyes, being in torment, talking about the rich man, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his arms. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, telling you it was a Jewish guy. The rich man was was a Jewish guy. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. For I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus, bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set, so that those who want to go over from here to you will not be able, nor will any people cross over from from there to us. And he said, Then I request you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that they may warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment as well. And here's where the power of Scripture, the power of God's Word, really hit home, hits home for me, and I hope it does for you. So he's saying, Send someone back from the dead so my five brothers won't come to the same place. And here's Abraham's answer to that. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, the rich man said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. If this doesn't convince you, if the Bible, the Word of God doesn't convince you, even someone coming back from the dead is less powerful than reading this Word. Amen. So I've got two scriptures I want to finish up with. And um, the first one is Matthew 24-35. There's a bunch of scriptures that go into the glory, the, the power of scripture. And I just picked a couple. Just Not even like the most crazy ones, I, I would say, or most fascinating ones. Um it's kind of average, but even average is still way more than enough to show the sincerity and the, the, the proof of the word. Um so the first one is Matthew 24, 35, and it says that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Uh the second is 2 Timothy 3:16. All scripture is inspired by God. That's how it starts. All scripture is inspired by God. I was listening to um, some clip, and and somebody was talking about evangelical Christians, and they were saying like the poor state of the church, the Christian church, and of evangelical Christians, 40% do not believe that the Bible is infallible, that it's the inspired Word of God. 40% of evangelical, people that go out and actually profess their faith, don't believe that the Bible is 100% accurate. I'm like, wow, that is, I think it had a much different number 100 years ago, just how things are changing. So, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture inspired is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training uh, in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. God doesn't leave anything out. You guys, to obey is better than the sacrifice. Read the word. You want the Lord to talk to you, like those, like I'm just as powerful as if someone come back from the dead. More powerful than someone come back from the dead and, and teaching you or telling you something is the word of God. Stay in the word. Without the word, you can't hear from Him. He can. I mean, I, I, I shouldn't say you can't because He can talk to you in different ways, and He does. But it is it's the best way to hear from Him and have open communication with the Lord. As we read and we hear what he has to say to us, it helps us with our prayers and how we respond to him and how we speak with him and how we know him and how our relationship is developed with him. So you guys, please stay in the word to obey is better than sacrifice. Let's go and bow our heads. Father, we thank you for this evening, Lord, and I just pray that we would take it very, very seriously